If you have your Bibles with you, turn with me to Luke chapter 22. I'm going to stay there this morning, and I'm going to uh, be reading out of several portions of that scripture. So just uh, open your Bibles to Luke chapter 22. In, In Luke chapter 22, Jesus eats the Passover with his disciples. We celebrated communion last week. And for the, for the Lord, this was a sacred moment. Jesus is, is, in fact, in Luke chapter 22, verse 15, he says this. He says, And he said unto them, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. In the King James Version, which I really believe literally follows the way that the Scripture reads, it's, With desire I have desired. Literally, he's saying it's an intensified, passionate longing that he wanted to eat this, this, this supper with them. It displays passionately, though, for us, how God longs and Jesus longs to have communion with us at his table. The Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread, every male would be in Jerusalem. Some estimate that a quarter of a million lambs would be slain during that week. Jesus takes the cup and the bread. This is a culminating moment. This, is, this would be celebrated for thousands of years. And Jesus says that he would not celebrate it again with them until he comes into the new kingdom. And then we see the outward uh, manifestation of this blessed moment. I want you to see this. In fact, in verse 24, it's a picture to me of the church. In verse 24, and it says, After he had done all this, a dispute also arose among them as to which of them was considered to be the greatest. Now, I don't know about you, but I think about this. Here's Jesus. He's going to suffer. He's... This is, a, this is a moment, I mean, uh, this, is, this is one of the greatest moments in history. And here, the twelve begin to fight amongst themselves. Well, I'm the greatest. No, no, I am. And Jesus, <laughs> Jesus had to have, he had to have a sense of humor. Because I'm in the midst of this, you're thinking to myself, well, how in the world, they, how could they become contentious at this place? Jesus is going to die a horrific death. He's going to pray with such passion that his, it would be as though he's uh, sweating great drops of blood. Really, this group is going to set the world on fire. I think to myself, this is the plan that God is using for all humanity to be saved? Wow. And then he says this, Paul says this later, and it reminds me of exactly what's happening here. He says, But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before Him. In fact, He says in the verse just before this, He says, Brothers and sisters, think what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many of you were influential. Not many of you were of noble birth. God says, I'm going to use these things that the world would just throw away, use as refuge. In fact, in this same chapter, he says he would use the foolishness of preaching to bring people to salvation. I don't understand it. Why is that? Because I believe that under the anointing of the Holy Spirit... God places, and I told the guys on Wednesday night, we had a great prayer meeting. I said, the the anointing of the Holy Spirit is when something happens and God puts that whoosh behind it, that brings it to life. That's the anointing of the Holy Spirit. 
God uses these things so that no one could boast. No one would receive glory but Him. So we go back to Luke chapter 22 and verse 27. It says there, For who is greater, the one who is at the table or the one who serves? Is it not the one who is at the table? But I am among you as one who serves. John MacArthur, in his commentary on this, he says right here, he goes, I believe it is at this point that Jesus wrapped a towel around himself and he began to wash the disciples' feet. Jesus explains that I didn't come to be boastful and in any arrogant way. I came as a servant. I want to read this quote to you. It says, The world's way of greatness is like a pyramid. The prestige and power of a great person is built on the many subordinate persons beneath them. But in the kingdom, the pyramid is inverted. As the great commentator R.C.H. Lenski has observed, God's great men are not sitting on top of lesser men, but bearing lesser men on their backs. That's exactly the way Jesus showed us. And Jesus mildly rebukes them, and he says this in verse 28 as we go through this chapter. You are those who have stood by me in my trials, and I confer on you a kingdom, just as my Father conferred on, one on me, so that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom, and sit on my thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. Jesus tells them, he says, he's telling them in this, this fashion that, you know what, what I'm going to give you, yes, I'm going to rebuke you, just, listen guys, it's not about who's the greater, it's about who's the servant. And then he stops just for a moment in verse 31, and he says this to Simon, 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 Satan has asked to sift all of you as wheat. We see this dialogue here, and all of a sudden there's this sobering comment Jesus says, the enemy is asked, he's asked permission to sift you. And the word when he says you there in the King James Version, it's plural. It means all of them. Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift all of you as wheat. It reminds me of something that took place back in the Old Testament. We see this conversation between Satan and God having this conversation about me. Could that be possible? That God is saying, that the enemy is saying, listen, let me talk to you about your servant Greg. He says this about Job in Job 1.8. It says, Then the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job? There is no one on earth like him. He is blameless and upright, a man who fears God and shuns evil. We look at Job as this isolated story. It can't be connected to us. See, we have salvation in Christ. We have a new covenant. This couldn't happen to us. But see, here in the New Testament, we see that it's connected. You're going to see this dialogue. And let me read it to you just for a moment. The rest of this little part, of, a portion of Scripture in Job 1.9. Does Job fear for nothing, Satan replied? Have you not put a hedge around him and his household and everything he has? You have blessed the work of his hands so that his flocks and herds are spread throughout the land. But now stretch out your hand and strike everything he has. And he will surely curse you, curse you to your face. The Lord said to Satan, very well, then everything he has is in your power. But on the man himself, do not lay a finger. Then Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. The place of testing answers this question. 
Do you serve God for only what He gives you? Or do you serve Him because He's God? For the disciples, or any disciple, we must count the cost before endeavoring down this road. Jesus warned us of this. We get excited when we see someone come into the kingdom, but then we forget that we need to have them count the cost. Before you sacrifice yourself to Christ, there's a cost that has to be paid with that. And part of that is this, that the enemy has the right to be able to demand to sift you. Otherwise, he would have never been able to do that. Satan has requested to sift you as wheat. This is a testing. All of us who've had a relationship with Christ, and he is, we are a follower of Christ, a disciple of Christ. But see, here's the problem. Many of us have spoken, confessed, but now everything we've said will have to be proven. When he says he requests to be, sift him, the implication is that he has the right to do so. I wonder, back to the original sin, that if the enemy's right to us to demand this is because of Adam's sin, original sin, now he can say, let me check on this. But again, God is the ultimate authority. The enemy can't just do as he pleases. He has to ask permission. But as though he has that ability to be able to do that, D.L. Moody said it like this, and some have made confessions, walked in the blessing. And here in the, this challenge of Peter, D.L. Moody says it like this, There is no one beyond the reach of the tempter. Keep that in mind. Life may r- run smoothly for a while, but the testing time is coming. Interesting about this whole time, Paul, P, uh, Peter says in this little this chapter, in verse 33, But Lord, I'm willing to go with you to prison and even to death. He makes this confession. Listen, I'm, I'll do anything. I, I'm with you, God. Peter would confess the right words, but he would be challenged shortly. Peter typifies the Christian of today. I love you, Jesus. And then the trial comes. The testing of our faith is a New Testament promise. I want you to know this in James 1.3. It says, because you know the testing of your faith produces perseverance. I don't think he meant me. I'm a blood-bought, faith-confessing, new covenant-believing, walking Christian. I am past that. I have rebuked that. I, am, I don't even have to accept this. I refuse to believe this. Then I'll tell you this. It's going to come. 1 Peter 1, 6 and 7 says it like this. So be truly glad there is a wonderful joy ahead. Even though you have to endure many trials for a little while, these trials will show that your faith is genuine. It is being tested as fire tests and purifies gold. Though your faith is far more precious than mere gold, so when your faith remains strong through your many trials, it will bring you much praise and glory and honor on the day when Jesus Christ is revealed to the whole world. See, the reality is this. If you're a disciple of Christ, it's not if, it's when am I going to be tested. David said it like this in Psalm 17, 3. He says, You have tested my thoughts and examined my heart in the night. You have scrutinized me and found nothing wrong. I am determined not to sin in what I say. Job understood that the testing 
Losing his family, losing all he had, sitting on ashes to avoid the, se- the severe pain of these boils. In fact, at one point it says in the same chapter of Job, it says that he had to take pottery and scrape the sores just to find any kind of peace. Many preachers and, te- and Christians today have rejected the truth found in Job, but it is interwoven throughout the Word of God. Trials, testing of our faith, suffering of the righteous is all there. Job 23.10 says, But he knows the way that I take. And when he has tested me, I will come forth as gold. So if you want to look at the bright spot in all this, yes, he's going to test us. But the outcome is perseverance. He tests us. And the outcome is gold. That I will no longer just be stubble and hay burned up, but I will be refined by him. We teach today, you just need a breakthrough. Take me over the trial, God. Remove my mountain. Yes, pray that, and then when nothing moves, I tell you this morning, then plow through headlong, praising God as you go. A shipwrecked man managed to reach an uninhabited island. There, to protect himself against the elements and safeguard a few possessions he salvaged, he painstakingly built a little hut from which he constantly and prayerfully scanned the horizon for the approaching ship. Returning one evening after a search for food, he was terrified to find the hut completely enveloped in flames. Yet, by divine mercy, his hard affliction had changed into a mighty advantage. Early the following morning, he awoke to find a ship anchored off the island. When the captain stepped ashore, he explained, We saw your smoke signal and came. Everything the marooned man owned had to be destroyed before he could be rescued. The trials and adversities of life are never pleasant, but in them we've learned the secrets of dependence, of grace and hope and perseverance. first got into ministry, I, I, I thought I knew a lot. And uh, it really is over the years that God humbles you, He uh, sometimes even humiliates you, uh, but it's all for a good cause. It's all about building you up, and so some of those difficult times and some of those struggles and tears and everything else really help you become who you need to be. And I think there's a lot of people who maybe don't realize that going in. And so when it gets really awful, that's when they want to quit, not realizing that's exactly what God's wanting um, so that you can come out of it as a more powerful, more useful minister. The theme of Sifted is um, so huge to me because... 
God is so true when he's, he talks about how he, humb- he, he humbles those who are proud and he exalts those who really humble themselves. And I've just seen some supernatural things over the years. God's blessing like just poured out on someone as a result of that, that type of humility that the Holy Spirit did in that person's life. And then the other side, is I've seen a lot of pain of people that have gotten angry at God and were angry at spiritual leaders who were trying to help them out. And you just see this bitterness grow, even though they say it's not there or whatever, but it affects everything, not just these blessings of God, but you can see it on their faces, their, their countenance changes. It's amazing what God can do when a, a person is broken and, and humbled and uh, and the change that the Holy Spirit can, can uh, place on that person's life. But on the flip side, it's also very scary and sad what he does with those who are proud. The general rule of my life is, Jesus, I really want to be like you, and I know I cannot be like you unless I go through some of these difficult times, unless I am tried. And it might be a little difficult to hear some of these things, and uh, we may have to deal with some issues, but we believe when we come out the other side, we're going to be that much closer to the Lord and that much more effective for ministry. Why is God silent when men suffer? Why is God silent when the righteous are tortured? The enemy wants to exploit your weakness. Judas didn't pass the test. The enemy wants to break your worship. He wants you to follow the example of Job's wife who said, Are you still maintaining your integrity? Curse God and die. He wants to destroy your faith because the faith is the only thing that won't fit through the sieve. This morning, if you're being tested and you're being tried, glorify God because you are a threat to the kingdom. We are in a spiritual war and we don't even know it. Our weapons are not carnal. A spiritual battle rages for your souls and the souls of those around us. As we watch Peter's life, Peter a short time later would be asked to watch and pray as Jesus was praying on the other side. He says, pray and watch because you're going to fall into temptation. I prayed about that Wednesday night when I said, the problem and the difficulty I have is my flesh. I said it last last week, I said, "Our, our flesh is... Weak, but our our spirit is strong. But the reality is it's opposite of that. My flesh is strong. And I resist the spirit. Because my flesh always wants to be out front. Peter, like us, was full of the flesh. Remember when Jesus is about to be taken away in the same chapter. He pulls out a knife and he slices a man's ear off. He says, Lord, I'll take care of this for you. And Jesus has to stop the whole process and pick up the man's ear and put it back on. But Peter looks like us. He's, he's up and down. I'm all for you, Jesus. Where'd they go? I love you, Jesus. The trial just broke me. See, Peter is ready and willing. 
He says he'll go to jail and even death. He defends Jesus. It would look honorable, but it's undiscerning. He's acting and engaging, but it's not by the Spirit of God. It is in this season of sifting that God removes the rough edges. He takes me out of the way. Those character issues that have bogged us down, that have kept us from intimacy with God and even others, that has stunted our growth, is spiritually speaking. We don't see it. Maybe our spouses see it. They've told us. You've heard that comment, but you ignore it as, oh, they're just being critical. They're just judging me. See, these things, God wants to break off of us. He was using Peter as an example, that fleshly character that had to be destroyed. I love the way John Piper says this. He says, there are two implications from this important in our lives. One is that Satan has a lot of power in this world. Jesus calls him the prince and ruler of this world. And Paul calls him the God of this age. And the ruler and the authority of this of heir. He blinds the minds of unbelievers and holds them in his snare until God releases them through the gospel. He can take his life, he can take life as he did with Job's children. He can ruin health as he did with Job's body. He can torment with demons. He can provoke evil deeds. And he can cause natural disasters. But the fact is that he does have this power, but it ought not make us paranoid or fearful. But sober in our praying, prayers that are consistent and persistent, that we need God's help. When the enemy is supernatural, so must our weapons. We are aliens and exiles in this world, but not nearly because of our values, but because we know that our struggles are different. If the enemy has marked you for sifting, praise the Lord, because you know what? God wants you. Satan's power is real, but there are not two ultimate powers in the universe. You see, through this story, is that Satan had to get permission from God. The enemy, he wreaks his chaos, but only at the discretion of what God limits him to, to be able to do. So yeah, he will make destruction, but God says, that's as far as you can go. The sifting process it's just like this. It's beaten. Till the grains of wheat fall out. The sifting process is not comfortable. It's not fun. The sifting process then involves a screen. And if you picture all those little grains as faith, they are the only things. Your faith is the only thing that will not go through that sift. It remains if we remain in Him. Faith cannot fall through the mesh. It is the wrong shape. And as long as Peter held on to his faith, trusting in the power and the goodness of God, therefore, this morning I want you to know that, that no matter what the enemy tries to do to us, where our faith cannot be shaken through the, sea, the, sieve, the sieve. It's the wrong shape. Job said it like this to his wife. He said, You're talking like a foolish woman. Shall we accept good from God and not trouble in all this? Job did not sin in what he said. See, your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. We resist him in our faith. We stand firm in our faith. 
But picture Satan as this farmer shaking Christians into his sieve, trying to tear them apart by their faith. But remember this. Our faith will not fit into the lion's mouth. See, the only thing that can fit in the lion's throat is an unbeliever. This is the victory that Satan's sieve and Satan's throat is our faith. I'm reminded of Peter as he was going through this whole scenario. Jesus tells him, you're going to deny me. Not just once, but three times. I'm thinking about these words that Jesus had told him sometime back in Matthew. He said, but whoever disowns me before others, I will disown him before my Father in heaven. I think about Peter reminded of these words that Jesus spoke to him. And then Jesus dies and he never gets to talk to him again. This is the last thing that happens. This is the last thing in his mind. I remember Jesus told me this. Whoever disowns me before others, I will disown him before my father. And then Jesus dies and Peter's left with this. The Bible says that he wept bitterly. He wept bitterly because he prayed a prayer of repentance. There's two powerful promises in the end of this chapter. The first one is this, in Luke 22, 32, But I have prayed for you that your faith will not fail. Literally, Jesus says this, I have prayed, which means I have pled, I have petitioned, I have asked urgently, even I have begged. But I want you to know this this morning. When Jesus is praying for you and I, and He does when we're in the sift, Okay, When we're going through the sifting process, Jesus is praying for us. And He prays the will of the Father. His prayers are answered. See, I hadn't even thought about this before. But the, the fact is, is that as Jesus was praying, I prayed for you, Peter, that your faith would not fail. My prayers get answered. My prayers are powerful and effective, like James says. They're able to penetrate through. God's, Jesus' prayers would be answered. And so we see that with, with Peter. He lives, the Bible says in Hebrew, to make intercession for us, the saints. That our faith would not fail. The Greek word translated fail here is, the, is this word, and it means it's the root word of the word eclipse. I've prayed that your faith would not be fully eclipsed. Does that mean there's not going to be a dark time? Yeah. When that sun gets blocked out or that moon gets blocked out, it's a difficult time. It may last for a while. It's a season. Sometimes it lasts longer than we thought. We pray for breakthrough and it doesn't come. We pray for God to change the situation and it doesn't come. But we stay in faith. Because as we go through that sifting process, someone asked me this week, they said, Greg, tell me about that time when you, know, you were going through all those things and Connie was on the verge of death. How did that look? And what did your faith look like? And I said, my faith looked weak. <laughs> but I would go out every day and I would walk that 640 acre field and I would pray. Did I have some great faith that was working in me? No, but you know what? God was imparting faith in me. See, it's in that season of sifting, just like it was for Peter. God was breaking something off of him, breaking something away from him and off of his life, moving those character defects that have kept him in the place where he was going to be not used. 
God wants to break those things off of us so that we can be used. That's the second promise. God's soldiers fight best on their knees. Peter got into the secret place, broken in there. He became nothing. He died in the secret place. He sacrificed in the secret place. Don't look for breakthrough. Today your breakthrough is Jesus. Seek Him. God wastes no action. I want you to know this morning, the second part of this is this, that God wastes nothing because the strengthener becomes the strengthened. Here he says this in the last part of that, chat, that verse. And when you have turned back, Peter, strengthen your brothers. The strengthened becomes the strengthener. Look at this in, in Acts chapter 4, verse 13, just a little while later. And when they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished and they took note of these men because they had been with Jesus. See, it was the encounter with Jesus. It wasn't some outward expression of faith. It was the, the, them being alone with God. They got in the secret place. They got on their knees. They got alone with God. It was in that place that the dynamic changed. That Peter became broken before God. It's in that place of humility like Francis Chan was talking about. It's in that place where I'm broken and I feel like I'm weak. He says, that's when you can become strong in me. God wastes no action of himself or even the enemy. No trial, no temptation, no test is ever in vain. God uses the least of these things for our benefit. If you have been selected for sifting this morning, thank God. You have finally caught the enemy's attention. Maybe you've been adrift. Maybe you've been walking in, in something else that you didn't understand. Your selection of sifting means that God has special plans for you. Don't delay. Don't waste the opportunity to learn to grow through this season. But get on your knees. Get alone with God. Get in the secret place as Paul did. Repent before him and say, God, I'm willing to do whatever it takes. Because the one that gets broken, God becomes the one that becomes the healer. He wants us all to know that. Some of you guys have been through difficult situations. Dire situations at times. Maybe you're in it right now. Maybe you feel like, man, I, I just don't even know which way to turn. It's difficult. If you could come. This morning, I want you to know that no matter what that looks like, I love this idea. If you've been selected for sifting, thank God. Thank Him this morning. Say, Lord, thank you. This, this is going to be difficult. See, Job, he had a choice. He could either praise God and curse God and do exactly what his wife said, or he could get on his face, and that's what he did. He got on his face and he sought God in the dust. This morning, God's calling all of us. The promise this morning is just that. The promise is the strengthened one becomes the strengthener. The promise this morning is, is that Jesus is praying for you. Man, that to me is powerful. That's better than any of us. We can bring the, boy, you know, the, the leadership up and pray for you. The best thing is that Jesus is praying for you. He's on your side. He's saying, I'm praying for you. My prayers get answered. Stay strong. Don't let your faith fall through that sift. Hold on to it. This morning, I'd like you to bow your heads. Heavenly Father, we just thank you this morning. God, I know that your word does not return void. And I don't know this morning who this message is for. Probably me. 
Lord, I know that there's going to come a time of testing for all of us. Maybe not just once. Maybe it's going to be we go through it again and again at times. But Lord, that we would hold on because Jesus is making intercession for us. And though the sifting comes, Lord, you're trying to purify us as gold. Lord, I thank you for that this morning. I thank you for your promise. Lord, I pray this morning that we would be able to walk in strength and the power that you have given us. Endued power by the Holy Spirit. We thank you this morning in your name.